You won't believe uh, who I just met uh, last week. I met uh, who I think is going to be the future president of the United States. Uh, I'll tell you a little about, about him. He's, uh, he's about 30 years old, and he's from Fife. He currently, he currently works as a, as a house builder with his dad. Uh, he teaches a little bit part-time, but he's, he's wanting to make a career change uh, into public service. He speaks pretty well, and I think he could really be the next president of the United States. He's looking, though, for some help. He needs some people to join his campaign staff uh, full-time. Uh, there's lots of travel required. No pay, but all meals are covered, okay? And so uh, I told him I would make the announcement to us and, and see who was willing to maybe sign up and help the next president of the United States. So you can raise your hand if you're interested. If we have some people interested. Now, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think, in, in honesty, uh, we would not be excited at that opportunity. Uh, for many reasons, and, and we come into a passage today where we see, uh, we see people follow Jesus for the first time, and uh, Jesus is an unlikely candidate to be the king of the universe. He was a young man, about 30 years old. He was from a city, Nazareth, that no one really cared about. It was not a city of significant importance. He was a carpenter. He worked with wood, and they knew his dad. His dad worked with wood as well. If anyone would have guessed who would be the king of Israel, who would be the king of the universe, they wouldn't have looked at Jesus and said, he is a good candidate. And the question, one of the questions I have for us this morning, is Jesus worth giving our lives to? Is Jesus worth following? What do we need to know about Jesus to follow him. Why should we follow him? And what if we have doubts? Like how, does, how do we deal with doubts in who Jesus is in following him? Those are the three questions I want to ask this morning. And the first one is, what do we need to know to follow Jesus? And I would submit to you, the answer is, we need to know the next step. The next step. We need to know the next step in following Jesus. It's the first point. Have you ever put so much time, effort in researching into making a decision that you fail to make the decision? You spend a lot of time doing research and analysis, and you spend all this effort trying to make the decision. You spend so much effort that you don't even make the decision, or you take like way longer than you thought you were going to take. Um, cooking is, is kind of a hobby of mine, and back when I first got interested in cooking, I would watch these videos where uh, you would see these, like, I don't know if they were professional chefs, but they were really good at just like cutting through like onions and tomatoes, and they just do it like rapid speed. And I would go home, and I would try to do it, and I would be like, crunch, and I couldn't do it. I, I just didn't understand. I thought, maybe it's just more practice. And pretty soon I found out like they had something that I did not have. 
and it was a sharp knife. <laughs> I was like, oh. And so I got turned on to this idea of sharpness. I, I went and sent my knives in to a professional knife sharpener in Seattle, and they came back just razor sharp, and they cut through onions and things like butter, and it was just like, it was mind-blowing. It was amazing. It was like, a ne- I just next-leveled like two levels in my cooking. And I said, I need to be able to do this like at home, like sharpen. I don't want to send them out like every year. I want to be able to sharpen more often. And so I, I started to do the research. Okay, what, are, what options do I have for sharpening at home? Well, there's an electric sharpener. There's like these stones that you can just sharpen freehand. And then there's more like a, a hybrid sort of a, a guided system that sets the angle on, on the knives. And I, I could... Some of you know I could go on a, a long time about talking about this, but to make a long story short, I, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that I spent hundreds of hours researching this. And from the point I decided to purchase something to the point I actually did something was like two years. I spent so much time, and, and the reason why is you get so many conflicting information. Contra- people are, are, are passionate about what their preferred method is. And, and I just remember, uh, it seemed like the more hours I spent in researching, and the more effort I put into it, the, the further away I was making from a decision because my mind just got more confused. I think that the issue in life, we, we, we don't lack information. I think sometimes we lack the ability to make a decision. And when we look at what's happening as as Jesus starts to get followers, what do his followers know about Jesus before they decide to follow him? They don't know a lot, really. When you look at it, you look at our passage today, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, behold, he said, behold the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. There you go. That's the decision they make. Now, they might know. They might know that, okay, his name is Jesus, and they probably know where he was from. They probably understand, like, who his family was. But really, the, the key decision factor that they use is the testimony of John. John says, look, here goes the Lamb of God. And then they follow Jesus. And I think the reason why, maybe one of the reasons why we take so much time to make decisions is because, um, especially if it's a high-stakes decision, right? If it's a, I mean, I, I spent all this time, it wasn't a high-stakes decision in choosing which sharpening method to use. But following someone, following Jesus in this context would have been a high-stakes decision. It is uh, taking your life and, and basically saying, I'm devoting my life to following this person, and he didn't, they didn't need a ton of information, a ton of criteria to decide to do this. They used the testimony of John, and that was enough. It's, it's interesting, after they, start, after they start following Jesus, they finally ask, you know, where, where are you going? Jesus sees them following. He says, what do you seek? And, and they said, where are you going? Where are you staying? Which is a question that makes sense, right? If you're intending to follow someone, it might, it might be helpful to know where he's going. And I think it's just such a, 
an innocent question, a question that I think probably most of us would also ask. And, and Jesus' response is interesting. He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. He doesn't tell them. Like, uh, which it was just is, is mind-blowing to me because I would want to know where we're going. Right? I mean, is, is the place you're staying, is it safe or is it dangerous? Is it clean or is it messy? Are you staying at the Westin or are you staying at Motel 6? Right? We want to we wanna know this because maybe, maybe the answer might, might change what we decide to do. Maybe it's a little too messy. Maybe it's a little too dangerous. Maybe it's a little too uncomfortable. Jesus doesn't tell them the answer. He just says, come and you will see. Take the next step, in other words. Take the next step. Come and you will see. Jesus doesn't cast a vision. Jesus doesn't give an elevator pitch of why you should come follow him. He just says, come and see. He makes it very simple. When it comes to following Jesus, are we willing to go and see? Or do we have to have all of the information first? Do we need to know every, each and every next step that God would have us take? Are we willing to go and see? Are we willing to take Jesus up on his word? And implicit in, in their following Jesus is, is a need to follow Jesus, right? If, if they didn't feel like there was a need to follow him, they wouldn't follow him. In other words, if their life was as perfect as it could be, if they saw no need for anything, then they would have no need to follow Jesus. But the reality is, the Bible speaks to imperfect people with imperfect lives. That's why Jesus is called the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, because he comes for people who's, who are imperfect, for people who recognize a need, for people who do need healing, for people who do need help. And if that's you this morning, Jesus has called us to come and see. Following Jesus can seem overwhelming at times. There's a lot to life. There's a lot of complexity in life. There's a lot of things that we go through. There's a lot, just even understanding who Jesus is and what he's called us to, it can be overwhelming. It can be uh, complex. And, and, and I just want to encourage those of you who follow Jesus and, and have been following him for years, uh, we don't need to know everything there is to know. It's okay to just follow Jesus in the next step. I look at my life when I was 18 years old, I was following Jesus, and yet I didn't understand that Jesus was God until it was shown to me. I was like, oh, well, that's something new. If you look at Scripture, there's the story of Apollos who was, who was uh, recorded in Acts. As he was teaching about Jesus faithfully, and then Priscilla and Aquila hear him and say, okay, oh, well, that's good. Let me invite you to our house, and they instructed him in the ways of Jesus more accurately, Scripture records. You can follow Jesus and not know everything, and that's okay. It's completely fine. Jesus says, come, follow me. Just take the next step. Don't worry. Don't borrow worry from the future that you don't need to worry about. If there's things in your head, and, and there's things that I don't fully understand, it doesn't invalidate 
my walk with Jesus. It doesn't invalidate our ability to take the next step and to see where God is taking us. And through time, trust that God is revealing more and more of himself to us through his word, through his people, through the experiences that he gives us. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you follow Jesus? One step at a time. Let's not overcomplicate what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus gives us very simple instructions. Take the next step. Follow me. Come and you will see. For those of you who do follow Jesus, I'm also asking you to take the next next step. What is the next step in following Jesus? for those who already follow Jesus. It starts in obedience. Understanding what Jesus has said to us and following through on doing that. One of the, one of the things that Jesus said, as we'll read later in the Gospel of John, as he's basically preparing to die, he leaves them with a commandment, and he says, to love one another as I have loved you. A new commandment I'm giving you. Love one another as I have loved you. In other words, he's basing love on his own behavior, on the, on the work that he's done, the way in which Jesus has loved us sacrificially. Like, we're supposed to love one another with that kind of love. What is the next step in following Jesus? Obeying him in that command. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this, I think sometimes we can... I know I've done this with myself where I think, okay, what's next in God's plan for me? And, and I'm thinking like, okay, God's saving people like to the ends of the earth. Is he calling me to do this great thing in, in some faraway land, you know, the ends of the earth or some new role or some new position? And, and I think we need to get very practical about what it means to follow Jesus Like, if we can't love one another as Jesus loved us, starting with the people closest to us, then who cares about the ends of the earth? I mean, God cares, but he cares more that you care about the people right around you. I think about it in terms of of, of my wife, Stephanie. If I can't love Stephanie as Christ loved the church, then my preaching, I could preach till my tongue falls off. And Jesus is going to say, you know, you're not following step one. And I, I just want to encourage us to, to, to not think in these sort of general terms about love, but to think in very specific terms, because God has placed you around specific people with names who are oftentimes the hardest people to love. Because the people closest to us know how to push our buttons. They know how to move the levers. They know how to get under our skin. They know the things that make us upset. And so sometimes that's the hardest place to practice what it means to love one another as Jesus loved the church. But that's what God is calling us to. If we want to follow Jesus, start there. Start there. If there are, if you know that you have unforgiveness in your heart to someone who is around you, like start with that. If you know you're holding a grudge against someone who's close to you, family, friends, spouse, start there. That's the next step. 
following Jesus is not complicated. It doesn't take like years of sitting there praying, waiting to hear from God, what is the thing you want me to do? He's given us the things he wants us to do and it's relational and it's right around us and we can engage in that starting today. Following Jesus is about taking the next step of obedience. We don't need all the information. We don't need to know every step in the future. We just need to know the next step in front of us. And in reality, uh, this is the best possible life to live. Because we don't, we don't have to just let life happen to us. We can live life. We can, t- we can be proactive. We can be intentional. And we can live for God. And, and, and the reason why I would claim that this is the best life to live, the best life to live is following Jesus because there's several reasons, but the reason that I'm going to pick out from, from this passage is that following Jesus reveals um, God's true purposes for us. When we follow Jesus, we get to see God's true purposes for our life. And we're going to look at the next section here, starting in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, uh, just a minor point first. In verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Um, Followers of Jesus invite other people to be followers of Jesus. This is, this, is, this is a bit of an aside. This is not the main point. But I just wanted to bring that up because that's exactly what you're seeing here. And how long were they followers of Jesus? Not very long, right? Early on. It's, it's interesting. I, I feel like sometimes as Christians we think like we have to study up. We've got to know a lot of things. We've got to know all the answers before we can finally feel prepared enough to invite someone to follow Jesus. And in this case, we see they follow Jesus, and then one of the first things they're doing is they're going and telling their friends, look who we found. We found the Christ. Come, follow him. I remember when I first, uh, as an adult, really started getting involved in Christian community. I was part of this Bible study, and it was really cool to see it God grew that Bible study and had many of my friends who I knew came to Christ because uh, they follow, they started following Jesus by hearing about Jesus through this Bible study. And it grew not because we sat there for three years studying John before we felt comfortable enough, before we felt bold enough to go and invite someone to the Bible study. It grew because like the first time I went, people were going, this is cool. I'm going to tell my friend about it. Wait, I'm seeing new things about God that I haven't seen before. I'm going to tell my friend about it. It grew from the get. 
people started inviting, and, and it grew. And, and some people followed, made decisions to follow Jesus and continue to follow Jesus to this day. Others followed Jesus for a period of time and, and went a different direction. That is kind of what you see in Scripture. There's different soil. Some soil produces healthy fruits, and some soil uh, produces things that don't have roots, and they fall away. But there's no hesitation in inviting people to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus invite people to follow Jesus. Now the main point. Jesus does something interesting to Simon. He changes his name. And it's really, really significant that he does that. He meets Simon for the first time. And Jesus says, you're not going to be Simon anymore. Like, can you imagine that? I mean, I, I just, like, imagine if I said, Kim Nong, first time I met you, you're not going to be Kim Nong anymore. You're going to be Chad. <laughs> like, how would he respond to me? He'd be like, um, excuse me, get out of here. I, well, I don't have that authority in Kim Nong's life, right? Would you agree? I don't. We're friends, but I don't have that kind of authority to name, to rename anyone. I might get to name, Lord willing, if we have kids, I might get to name our kids. But even that would be a joint effort. So, Jesus exercises a very peculiar authority in renaming Peter. He is demonstrating that he has that authority, number one. But number two, he is redefining Peter's purpose. It's built into his name, Peter, which means rock. And if you know the story of where it's going, you know that at some point, Peter's going to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and and Jesus is going to say, you're right, and on this rock I will build my church. And so Peter plays a very instrumental role in, in Jesus building his church. And what, what, what Jesus is saying is, I'm redefining your purpose to be used for my purpose, which is to build the church. Elsewhere, he says, you know what, you're, right now you, you, you're a fisherman, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He redefines, he even changes his profession of what he does to make a living. Now, that doesn't mean he necessarily does that to everyone, but what he does do is he defines their purpose. He gives Peter a new identity. And the reason, why does, why does Jesus get to do this? It goes back to what we read in John 1. Jesus is the Word who was with God, who was God, the same word who through all things were created were created through him. Jesus is the creator. He's the one who gets to tell us what our purpose is. Why? Because he designed us. In the same way that an engineer designed some gadget, he gets to define or she gets to define what the purpose of that gadget is. Well, God, through Jesus, created us. He gets to define what our purpose is, what we function for. And it's not in a like, it's not in a bad sense. It's in a good sense. Like, if you can picture it as us sort of living in the way that we were meant to live. 
in the way that we were designed to function. We were created by Jesus for Jesus, Colossians 1.16. Jesus created us for himself, and so we receive our greatest contentment, our greatest satisfaction, our greatest fulfillment in living for that purpose, for Jesus' purpose, to make much of who he is. He's the reason why life is good. He's the source of love. The things we love about life, the things we get up and we see a beautiful sunset or we experience just the intimacy of a beautiful relationship, like all those things that you can think about life that we love, we know there's, there's messed up stuff in life. Like we know there's pain, we know there's suffering, we know there's struggle, we know there's thorns and thistles, but there's still something about life that we like. And I would submit to you that that is Jesus. He created all things for himself. And, and I want to encourage us to, to, to see that when we follow Jesus, we get to live in the purpose of what Jesus has created us for. It's interesting, this passage, I relate to it uh, in a unique way uh, because I was not born with the name that I have, that most of you know me by. I had a different name. My name was born, I was born Bobby. Now, there are a handful of people who still call me Bobby, and that's uh, just all family on my dad's side. But I was born Bobby, and, and as a kid, I, I loved the name Bobby. It was a great name, I thought. Uh, I didn't want to lose the name Bobby. But my mom, when, when, she, when I was about four years old, uh, she found Jesus. And I didn't fully understand what that means. I, it just meant she, she's talking differently. She's like crying more often. She's watching like different TV now. But, she, but Jesus found her. And I remember the day when, when she spoke to she, she she said, Hey Caleb or hey Bobby, what if I called you Caleb? And I, I I'm like four years old. I didn't quite understand what she, like what is she getting at? Like, my name's Bobby. It's like, um, like just for today or just for like <laughs> for how long? <laughs> She's like, maybe, maybe forever. And I remember saying, I, didn't, I don't want to be. I said, like, no, I like, I like Bobby. Why? And she said, okay, well, maybe I'll just call you Caleb for the next two weeks or so. Is that okay? And if you don't like it, we can go back to Bobby. I said, okay. I don't know if I had a choice, but I said, okay. And she started calling me Caleb. But she t- also told me why. And she went to um, the scriptures and Caleb and Joshua and their, uh, they were spies who went out into the land before and there was uh, 12 spies but all the other spies gave a bad report they said the land's good but there's like these people in them and they're just big and strong and we could never take them right we can't we should not even go and try but Caleb and Joshua went and they said no the land is of milk and honey it's a great land we want to move there and you know what there's people there but we're we're more than we're more than able to take them with God's help and so I looked at that story I said well okay well, that's cool 
I don't know if Bobby has a story in here somewhere like that, but it grew on me. As I look back, I think God was using my mom to prophetically speak a new identity into me. It was not long after that that I professed faith in Jesus as a, as a little boy. And I thought it's interesting, that name Caleb, it means courage and boldness. Which I think is funny because, like, in my own nature, that's not who I am. I'm not courageous. I'm not bold. I, I would much rather not rock the boat. I would much rather stay in the background and just do my own thing. And yet I think God was challenging me in naming me Caleb to say that, no, in me, you can be bold. You can be courageous. I can give you the strength to be what you think you can't be. It's a story that God does over and over again in Scripture. You can look at Moses. I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. No, you will speak. Because God is able. Following Jesus gives us a new identity that relates to a new purpose, a purpose for living for Jesus. It's interesting. I think oftentimes we seek after superficial things. Because that's what the world values. Be it charm or charisma, wealth, power. Like these things we seek after as like a substitute for God's purpose. Like these are the things that, that are going to give me the accolades. These are the things that are going to get me liked. These are the things that people are going to pat me on the back for and say, at a boy or at a girl. God says, don't worry about those things. Just worry about my purposes. And, you know, as, as I reflect on, on my life, and I see two very different trajectories that my life could have taken, in some senses, the Bobby trajectory versus the Caleb trajectory. And I, I just have to say what a privilege it is to preach the word of God to you all. And, and I know at... at at 20 years old, when I first felt like the Lord was, was going that, I would not have stated it thus. Uh, my, my first reaction was, no. <laughs> that is not what I want to do. I just want to finish business school and make a lot of money and be a, a very rich Christian who gives to causes and enjoys fancy foods and fancy rides and all that stuff. That was my, that was my mindset. Just, it was, that's what it was. It was not to do this. And, and, and now, in, in this space, this is, um, this is joy for me. It's not my identity. My identity comes from Jesus, but he has given me a love for serving him in this way that I can only explain by meeting Jesus and following him. Following Jesus implies taking step, taking the next step, following. And in so he gives us a new identity and he gives us a purpose that aligns with his. But the last question I have for us is what if, what if we doubt? What if we have objections? What if we are just not sure that Jesus is who he says he is? What if we're just not confident that he's actually going to lead us someplace good and the, the last 
point is follow Jesus to allow Jesus to answer your objections. Allow Jesus to answer your objections and your doubts. We're going to read the last section. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Let me stop there. Now, Nathaniel has an objection. So before that, you see Philip um, is excited, and he goes and he tells uh, Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses and the law said is the one. Like, this is, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one that, that we want to follow. This is the one that we want to meet. And Nathaniel is, like, not impressed. Nathaniel is not impressed at all. He says, Jesus of Nazareth? Like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, humans are pretty good at coming up with objections, especially when the stakes are high, especially when it's like a life or death decision. And so it's not surprising that Nathaniel would have an objection. Now, let's look at his objection what is Nathaniel really saying? Does he have a high view of Nazareth, or does he have a low view of Nazareth? He's got a low view of Nazareth. And he, he puts up, he basically, what he's doing, he's, he's prejudging Jesus. That's exactly what he's doing. He's prejudiced against Jesus because of where he's from. And so he immediately throws up this wall of prejudice. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That'd be just like us saying, can anything good come from Fife? Can anything good come from Puyallup? Can anything good come from Renton? He throws up this wall of prejudice. Jesus can't be who he says. He, Jesus can't be who you're saying he is because he's from Nazareth, and we know Nothing good comes from Nazareth. What is Philip's response? No, let me tell you. Nazareth, it's ahead of the curve. You don't know. Let me tell you, it ain't that bad. In fact, there's, there's a, new, uh, new play, a new Trader Joe's coming. No, there's not coming one here, but I wish... He doesn't do that. He could. I mean, that probably would have been my line of thinking. Now, let me tell you just how great Nazareth is to directly answer his objection. But he doesn't do that. He says, no, come and see. By the way, the title of this message is Come and See. That's a theme through this passage. Come and see. In other words, don't just sit there behind your comfortable pre-judgment. Like, it's really easy to throw that wall up. Oh, nothing good comes from there. And we do that in other ways, our society. I mean, you hear 
especially now in this climate, a lot of it's along political lines. Like, oh, that person, he's just a, a right-wing conservative. Or he's just a left-wing liberal. You know, like, nothing good comes from CNN. Nothing good comes from Fox News, right? I mean, we do this. I hear it, even amongst Christians. So we throw up these very convenient, easy-to-hide walls, and, and the, the answer is not to, not to understand like, oh, well, actually, it's, it's actually not as bad as you think. He just says, you know what? Step out of the wall. Come and see for yourself. That's his answer. Come and see. And what does, Nathan- what does Nathaniel do? He actually gets up. He goes and he sees. He doesn't just stay behind this wall of prejudice that he's just erected, which could be so easy to do. He actually takes a step and he goes and he sees and he encounters Jesus for himself. Jesus saw, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. God's response to our objections is to come and see and allow Jesus to answer for himself. And he does that for Nathaniel. He does that for Nathaniel. And the only way that Jesus could do, and he promises, uh, let me pause here because there's another story I want to read um, that I think illustrates the fundamental problem that we have is that we're very quick to prejudge based on superficial characteristics. That's what Nathaniel's doing because where Jesus was from had zero to do with who Jesus actually was. And we do that with things like race. We do that with things like where people are from, a country we don't like, we will do that with any number of things. People's appearance, oh, they look like they're nothing, so they are nothing. And yet God oftentimes will work in such a way that he chooses the people, he chooses the people who don't seem like they fit the bill to do his work. And one of my favorite stories of that is, is King David. And so, so what's happening, when David is chosen to be king, the before he's chosen to be king, there's a current king who's in power, and his name is Saul. Saul fit the bill of what a king should look like. Like, Scripture records that Saul is like a head taller than any other person around him. He's big, he's strong, he's a warrior, like he fits the part of a king. But at some point, God says, he's not going to be king anymore. I'm going to pick 
a new king. And so he calls Samuel, one of his uh, judges. He says, Samuel, you're going to go to this place and you're going to pick for me a new king. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to identify him. You're just going to anoint him, okay? And Samuel goes to this place. He goes to this particular family who has like eight sons. It's like, okay, I get to pick from eight sons. Who's going to be the king? And we get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. I think, I think I have it. Yeah. And it reads, when they came, he, this is Samuel, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's interesting. He, Samuel goes and he sees his family, and, and the first of this family's sons is brought out before him, and it's Eliab, and apparently he's impressive. So impressive that Samuel says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And God corrects him in the moment. He says, no, I've rejected him. Like, I'm not looking at his appearance. I'm looking at the heart. And so one by one, he goes through the sons and and finally gets through seven sons. and, And all of them, God has rejected. And finally, Samuel says, do you not have any more sons? And the father says, well... There's my youngest. He's out there tending the sheep. You want me to bring him in? It's like he's doubtful, right? I don't know. I don't know if you want to pick him. But he brings him in. The youngest, perhaps the smallest. Like he's not the one who fits the bill of being a king, and yet God says that's the one. Which is also encouraging if you feel like, maybe I haven't been blessed with all the gifts. Maybe I feel like I'm one of the ones that would be looked over if someone was coming to find the next king. It's an encouragement because God chooses people who are unlikely. If anything, just to glorify how great he is. God can use people who would be looked over, would be passed by, who are from the wrong city, who are from the wrong family, who who don't have the right things or don't have the right appearances. Those are the people that God chooses and uses mightily. All because of God's grace. All because of His ability, not our own ability. And so to prejudge on the basis of appearance is to argue with God. It's basically, you know, God, you don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm seeing, and, and, and what I'm seeing, this is what it should be. Jesus says, don't make prejudgments based on appearance. And it's a fitting message when we think about Martin Luther King and what he stood for and that message. It's really a message of reconciliation. We throw up these dividing walls of prejudice based on outward appearances, based on superficial characteristics, based on our own preferences that are based in ignorance. Like Nathaniel's statement, can anything good come out of Nazareth, is based in ignorance. It had no basis, no substance to it. 
Now, Jesus could have gotten mad, right? When, when, when Nathaniel came up to Jesus, Jesus could have went like, uh-uh. No, this one's not coming in. This one's not following me. He was prejudiced. He was hateful. Like, he mocked my city. Like, Jesus could have done that. I might have done that. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, well, I know you mocked my city. It's all good. Like, Jesus was very comfortable in his own skin. He wasn't threatened by that. He says, well, no, come and see. I'm going to show you. I'm going to do a little trick. <laughs> I saw you under the fig tree. And his mind's blown. Like, at that point, like, the facade of the fake wall that was in there was just torn down in a moment. And he says, you know what? You thought that was a nice trick? You're going to see even greater things. And you get this picture where he says, you're going to see angels uh, descending and ascending on the Son of Man. That is a, a picture that points back to a dream that Jacob had in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. And, and when, that, when Jacob had that dream, he saw a dream of a ladder or stairs that reached from, from, from earth to heaven, and the doors of heaven were open, and the angels were uh, descending and ascending. And Jacob said, clearly, the presence of God is here, for the gateway to heaven is open. And it was a picture of full access to God. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the picture, I am the way, I am the door to full access to God. That in me, there is reconciliation between people and God. And that's the point. That's what Jesus is saying. The greater thing that he's come to show us is, is I am the way to reestablishing your relationship to God. I'm bringing reconciliation. I'm bringing us back together through Jesus' person. And that reconciliation extends outward into our relationships with other people. We don't have to throw up these walls of prejudice. We don't have to mock where other people come from. We can trust that God is able to overcome all these things. And Jesus is the person who has come to overcome those divisions. Let us allow Jesus to answer our objections. I think sometimes the, the objections that people make today are um, maybe not so much about where he was from, but obje objections that I think people make about Christians. Oh, Jesus, Jesus hates particular people. And Jesus' response is, come and see. Or Jesus is just going to make me do stuff I don't want to do and, and all the stuff I want to do, I can't do anymore when I follow Jesus. And Jesus says, come and see. Or Jesus was just a good teacher, one amongst many, and Jesus says, come and see. I'm not really sure that Jesus really rose from the dead, that he's really God incarnate. And Jesus says, come and see. How do we practice going and seeing. Nathaniel got up and he went. I think for us that means getting out our Bibles. How do you understand and hear what Jesus has said? He, well, he's spoken through this. We believe that this is God's word, that Jesus speaks to us, that we see Jesus through scriptures. We get on our knees and we pray and we seek God because he's given us his Holy Spirit to be with us. We can 
experience God. We can hear from God. Being in his community is another way that we go and see, we experience God through our friends, our neighbors who follow Jesus, and we hear and understand, well, what has Jesus done in your life? And this community filled with the Holy Spirit, um, with the word as his foundation, is a way that we can practically come and see. And he'll answer our, our objections. Like, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. It's not okay to hide behind those doubts and to hide behind those questions and make no effort to actually pursue Jesus. Stephanie and I were having dinner with a friend of hers. Um, and her friend, she, she calls herself uh, a, an optimistic agnostic. Interesting that's how she describes herself. And, you know, we were telling, I was telling about um, my new job and kind of it's just a natural way to talk about Jesus. I, I'm a pastor, so it's like sort of an easy way to do it. And I was telling her about some of the work that we do, the shelter work and the after-school program. And you can kind of see her, she's like, hmm. And, and finally she speaks up and says, you know what? Like, that all seems like good stuff. She's like surprised. He says, you know, I, in the media, I just see like all this hate, like Christians hating other people and people with signs, you know, that say God hates, you know, and the list of things. I was like, you know, I mean, we just try to follow what Jesus said in loving other people. And, you know, she didn't like make a decision for Christ right there, but, but you could see this sort of cognitive dissonance like in her mind, this tension between what she thought she knew about Jesus and what she was beginning to actually see in meeting people who follow Jesus that, you know what, maybe Christians do some good things. She was beginning to go and see it's, it's interesting, just on that note, you know, I, I think about the people with the billboards, you know, with the God hates, and, and a lot of times that gets a lot of publicity. And I think to myself, would, if Jesus were here today in the flesh with us, would he be out on the corner with one of those signs? I hate you. I mean, because he'd be saying, like he'd say himself, this is me, I don't, Jesus, I'm, I'm Jesus, I hate you list of people like would Jesus do that I think the answer is obviously no he would not do that I think what Jesus would do is what Jesus does he says come and see follow me he doesn't give any prerequisites he doesn't say you know what when you fix yourself up first when you become one of the good people then you can follow me no he says I'm gonna I'm going to invite you to follow me right where you're at. You're catching fish in the sea. You're just going about your normal job. I'm going to ask you to follow me right where you're at. Jesus would have a sign that says, follow me. And it would say, come and see. And I just want to encourage us to come and see and take the next step. Don't worry about all the stuff that we don't need to worry about all the questions, all the doubts, all the frustrations, all the pain. Life is complex, it's messy, but Jesus just gives us a simple path to follow. 
follow me and see. Let Jesus speak into our hearts himself, and he will be faithful to show us step by step his goodness, his glory, and experience the reconciliation with God and with others that are only possible through him. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for sending your son to die for us, to make reconciliation with you possible, to open the gates of heaven to you. I thank you, Father, to give us, that you've given us a purpose in life, that you've given us a new identity when we follow you. We've given us, you've given us something to live for that's satisfying in our soul. Father, I ask that you would help us where we've thrown up walls of prejudgment and prejudice towards those we don't like or those we don't even know. Lord, would you help us to walk in your ways? Would you help us to see the good that you're doing, to see that you care about everyone, everywhere, in every place. Lord, you've placed no prejudgment against us, but have loved us right where we are, and I pray that we would do likewise with those around us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us and empowers us to do what you've called us to do. And we ask, Lord, that we would get out of the way of ourselves and allow you to work in and through us. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you love us and care for us and ask, Lord, that we would experience your presence as we go out. So we go out this week into our workplaces, to our schools, to our neighborhoods. Help us to follow you every step of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, at this